Hey everyone, I want to invite you to check out our brand new online learning platform, Windows Into the Bible University. Windows Into the Bible University offers a full curriculum that will help you understand how to read the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. It provides efficient and affordable biblical education and is revolutionizing how we study the Bible by helping you to feel confident in your ability to understand and interpret the scripture. Windows into the Bible University offers monthly and annual subscriptions. Please check us out and note that going to the website, you can actually access a free course on the Lord's Prayer. That's Windows into the Bible University, WITBUniversity.com, revolutionizing Bible reading so that you can be confident in your ability to understand and interpret the Bible. You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Do you ever find yourself confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find meaning in what you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing out on something that the author of Scripture intended for you to catch? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to understand and interpret the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. When I was a student, a graduate student, living in Israel, I had the privilege of studying with the late Professor David Flusser. And Professor Flusser was, well, let's start here. He was truly a savant. If I've ever met or been in the presence of real genius, it was sitting in Flusser's seminar. I remember he would often tell us a story about an interaction that he had with the Jewish philosopher and thinker of the 20th century, Martin Buber. And Flusser would always, I, I probably heard him tell this story a dozen times or more, but he would quote this story of this interaction between he and Buber, and Buber would say that you can hear the voice of Jesus in the Gospels if you learn how to hear. And Flusser would always put his hand up to his ear, cupping around his ear, and said that that's what Buber had done, making that gesture. That you can hear the voice of Jesus in the Gospels if you know how to hear. 
It's an interesting statement, and I remember as a young graduate student, that was one of many statements that I heard Professor Flusser make and stories that he told that impacted me. And really, when we talk about windows into the Bible, reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible, we're actually talking about learning how to hear. Learning how to hear the Bible means learning how to ask ancient questions of the Bible. I know when we run to the Bible, we want to ask our modern questions. We want to bring our modern assumptions and worldview and the scientific world that we live in to the Bible and see if we can figure it all out. But the Bible isn't the product of our world. It's the product of its world. And learning to hear means learning to ask ancient questions. And learning to hear means learning how to crawl into the world of the Bible. And learning how to hear Jesus means learning to hear him in his words within the echo chamber of ancient Judaism. Jesus of Nazareth, I've said this before, abhorred the cult of personality. He refused to allow people to associate with him based upon his own personal charisma, which probably was substantial. And we find a fascinating encounter in Luke's gospel, only two verses, that illustrates this. In Luke 11, 27 and 28, as Jesus had been teaching, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that you sucked. It's kind of an odd blessing. I certainly know that if I were teaching somewhere and someone shouted that out, I may just sit there and go, hmm, may even cause me to be speechless. We don't understand what she's just done. She's actually just identified Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, we find a Jewish blessing over the Messiah that reads, Blessed is the hour in which the Messiah was created. Blessed is the womb whence he came. She just tells Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the guy. You're God's anointed. How does he respond? But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, it's very clear that to her statement, he provides a bit of a not-so-subtle rejoinder and even a bit of a rebuke. Understand that behind her statement, blessing Jesus, identifying him as the Messiah, is her expectation that he is going to be the vehicle through which God brings about his redemption. 
Now, without getting into this too much now, we'll probably do this in a series of uh, future podcasts. There is a common mistaken idea about Jewish ideas of redemption, especially in the first century. Many Christians and scholars of the New Testament alike want to repeatedly say that the Jews are looking for political redemption. Please hear me carefully. Jewish ideas of redemption in the first century are always, always, always bifocal. There is a this-worldly manifestation that some would say is political in nature, but there is always a spiritual component to it. Even those texts that are yearning for, where we hear about the yearning for a Davidic king who will smash the nations with the rod of his mouth, this individual is expected to bring spiritual revival. Redemption is always bifocal within ancient Judaism. I would also argue it's this way in the New Testament, but again, that's for future conversations. But nevertheless, she has just identified Jesus as being that figure that is going to bring about this redemption that it will have a manifestation of getting Rome out of there. Never forget that the land of Israel is a land that is living under Roman foreign occupation in the first century, but also is, a, is an anticipation of spiritual revival. One thing that is at the foundation of Jewish hopes of redemption within the first century are three basic assumptions. I'm going to run through them quickly. Again, we will spend time unpacking them in the future. But the three assumptions are these. Number one, there's only one God and he's our God. Number two, we are his chosen people. Keep that in mind because this is going to become important in just a second. And number three, only when we are free can we truly worship God the way he intends. All you have to do to pick up on that one is go read the blessing of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1. I believe it's around verses 74, 75, something like that. So, only one God, our God. We, the Jewish people, are his chosen people, and only when we are free can we truly worship him. Everybody agrees on those three assumptions. Roman presence in the land created a fundamental challenge to those assumptions. Now the question becomes, okay, there's only one God, he's our God. We're his chosen people. And only when we're free can we truly worship God the way he intends. Again, notice the bifocal aspect. Freedom plus spiritual submission and servanthood to God. Now the question becomes, how do we go about achieving that status. Now, there's going to be one stream of thought that's going to say, you do it by taking up the sword and spilling blood, whether that be Jewish blood or Roman blood. That the way that you go about realizing that is through force of arms. That, in effect, it is a sin for us to submit to foreign authority. So when we're presented with the challenge of foreign authority, we fight back, we push back. 
The second stream of thought is going to say, no, 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 no. We are subjected to foreign authority because of our sin. Very much kind of the theology that you find being expressed, for example, in books like Deuteronomy and Kings. The disobedience is what leads to foreign oppression. So if there's foreign oppression, it's because of our sin. How do you solve that? Through repentance. We hear Jewish sages saying repentance brings redemption near. This is, of course, how we should understand John the Baptist and Jesus' own calls for repentance. The idea that the repentance of the people will be this collective catalyst that will cause God to send about his redemption. So let's come back to these two verses in Luke 11. This woman stands up and says to Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the vehicle to bring about this redemption. And notice Jesus' rejoinder. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, one of the things that I love when it comes to studying the words of Jesus is that Jesus had this brilliant ability to speak at two levels. On the one hand, he could speak in a way where the common person who may not be as well learned could catch his basic point. But when we read Jesus's words in the Gospels, in light of the world and context of ancient Judaism, we realize that actually he betrays a level of deep sophistication in the highest levels of Jewish learning. And often peppered within his sayings are allusions to the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Now, how do we who maybe are not as familiar with the Bible of Jesus pick up on this? One of the ways that you can do it is begin to pay attention to collocation of words. Notice, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Here's how you should search this out. Go and do a search in your Bible software for the appearance of the words to hear and to keep in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. Now, I've already done this for you. You're welcome. But the first time that collocation appears is in Genesis 26. Now, I will simply draw your attention briefly to the fact that Genesis 25 comes before Genesis 26. Now, you say, well, that's not that earth-shattering, Mark, and I would agree with you, except in Genesis 25, we have the story of the birth of Jacob and Esau. And understand that the birth of Jacob and Esau and one of Esau's other biblical names is Edom, which in the first century was a nickname that the Jews were giving to Rome. But in the birth of Jacob and Esau was seen the the struggle that Israel had with Rome. 
But in Genesis 26, God is giving his covenant to Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau. And he promises him, he renews the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac's father. And he promises this land that you're on, your descendants, the land will be yours, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And then we read in Genesis 26, 5, because Abraham heard my voice and he kept my commandments, my laws, and my teachings. Why does Isaac receive the promise of the covenant of the land? Why does Isaac receive the promise of God's covenant with Abraham? Because Abraham heard and kept God's statutes. It's the first time we find the language of to hear and to keep in the Bible. There's a second passage, which is also very important. And this is in Exodus 19. And here, this is where God tells Israel that you're going to be my chosen people. And the term that is used in Hebrew for my treasured possession, chosen possession, is the word segula. Now, I want to go back to those three assumptions that everybody's holding in the first century, right? There's one God, he's ours, and we are his chosen people. That language of the chosen people goes back to Exodus 19.5. Okay? And in Exodus 19.5, God says to the people, Now, if you will surely hear my voice and keep my covenant, you will be for me a treasured possession from all the peoples for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which I spoke to all the sons of Israel. Jesus's rejoinder to the woman who identifies him as the Messiah in this brief statement, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, He's driving his listeners back to the biblical text, which where's the first time we ever hear the language of to hear and to keep? It's in the covenant that God's making with Isaac, where he says, because Abraham listened and he kept. This is why I'm doing this. And then when Israel stood at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, where God says, now if you will certainly hear and keep, you will be to me a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What's Jesus saying? This woman has just cried out, you're God's Messiah, you're God's anointed, you're the vehicle for God's redemption. She has just identified Jesus is the person everybody's wanting to have show up. 
And Jesus actually pushes back. He doesn't deny her claim, but he says, you want redemption to come. Redemption will come when you hear the word of God and keep it. He does not allow the formation of a cult of personality around him. Rather, he expects that his movement, his followers, and those that seek and yearn for redemption will realize it when they hear the word of God and keep it. Remember that second stream of thought that says we're subjected to foreign authority because of our sin? So how do we fix that? We repent. Not just by saying, I'm sorry, but by hearing the word of God and keeping it. How do we hear the voice of Jesus? If we really want to learn to hear Jesus of Nazareth, we have to learn to hear him within his world, within his context, within the world of ancient Judaism. I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I want to invite you to rate, review, subscribe, and share. This actually helps us to grow our audience. So again, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please remember to rate us, to review us, to subscribe to the podcast, and to share it with your friends. One other thing I want to encourage you to do is I actually wrote a book, Windows into the Bible. It's available on Amazon, and this book provides case studies that help you to better learn the four windows, spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual, and how those contexts can help you better understand the words of the Bible. So check it out on Amazon, Windows into the Bible, and don't forget to rate us, review us, subscribe, and share. Thank you all so much. listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>